Good morning, Chapel Hill. You are going to need your Bibles to follow along in, so uh, you can get your Bibles out, get your Bible apps opened up. If you need a Bible to follow along in, you don't have one with you right now, just put your hand up. Our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. They're coming around right now. And uh, if you receive one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own, just take that one with you and make it yours. Um, Just a couple words on what we heard, um, first of all, regarding Arrive Ministries and our partnership with them and this group of individuals that are serving so faithfully, um, this refugee family. um, It is a really amazing thing to watch. Yes, it is difficult, um, but it really is incredible. And I got, uh, at the end of this past week, I got a letter from the executive director of Arrive, and she had heard about our group and the love that they have poured out on this family and um, wanted to thank me personally for what Chapel Hill Church is doing, um, the difference that we're making. And um, you have all played a part in that um, in one way or the other. Um, First of all, pray. Um, This involves God in a very big, big way. Um, And the giving that you do towards our caring fund, um, we had the opportunity to use some of the caring fund to help this family reach the point where they qualified for state assistance. They were that far down and that far behind, and uh, God provided patience on behalf of their landlord and all the rest, and we were able to step in as a church and meet that need so that they would qualify. And so thank you for that. Uh, That is a very meaningful thing. Um, And then regarding uh, what Preston shared about Steiger, um, we are in the process of deepening our partnership with Steiger in a couple of different ways that you're going to hear about. And um, I'll, I'll fill you in more on that as the days go by here, but it's a really exciting opportunity. Okay. This morning, we continue in our series that we're calling Knowing God, and the purpose of this series can be found right there in the title. This is about knowing God, and my prayer for this church is that we all grow closer to God through this series. This is for those who know God deeply, but simply want to know him more. It's for those who have had glimpses of knowing God deeply, but they want that on a more consistent basis. And it's for those who can't honestly say that they know him. Uh, maybe, maybe you believe in him, but you just seem to be lacking that personal, relational experience of knowing God. So figure out where you're at and ask God to move you closer to him. Ask him to draw you in through this series as we work through some different things together. We've begun looking at some of God's attributes Things about him that are true of him, things that describe who he is, not just what he can do. These are essential characteristics of God's being. This series is more about who God is than it is about what God can do and what he does. Um, Last week, we looked at compassion and mercy. God is compassion. He is mercy. He doesn't just demonstrate these things at times. This is something that we can know of God by experience, not just something that we can know about him. And this morning, we're going to focus on something about God that we know very, very well. We sing about this. We study it. We use this word as we close the service each Sunday. I'm talking about grace. And if there's one attribute of God that I would guess we've experienced more than any other, I would have to guess that it's grace. So unexpectedly, 
my challenge in preparing for this morning was maybe greater than usual. Because I really don't want to just go back over the many verses in the Bible that mention grace. We will look at some of those. I don't want to give you a history lesson on the hymn Amazing Grace and how that came to be. I don't want to make you think as you leave here today, yeah, I knew that. I'm glad you do. I'm glad that I can feel very confident that if I threw out a survey to you right now, I'd get some great insight on God's grace and how you've experienced it in your life. But the vision I have for this series is for us to know God more deeply. And so that needs to be my goal for each message. How can we feel, see, experience God's grace in relationship with him more than we ever have? If this attribute is something that we know with great confidence is an attribute of God, and it is, how can we move our understanding of grace from our head to our hearts and on into every aspect of our lives? This morning, I want to learn from someone who didn't just teach about grace. He experienced grace every moment of his life, and his desire was to pass that experience along to the rest of us. Um, the Apostle Paul, that's who we're going to learn from, had a problem with boasting. Unlike mine, Paul's parents apparently did not teach him that boasting was wrong. So in 2 Corinthians 12, we see Paul boasting yet again. And of course, I'm not being serious about that aspect of what Paul did. He made a profound point with his boasting, kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes, especially when he started boasting about something that we find absolutely ridiculous to boast about. His audience in this case was the church in Corinth. And as he wrote to them about how God was transforming his boasting from boasting about self to boasting about God, he shared with them something that God had shown him. To keep Paul from boasting in himself, Paul had what he referred to as a thorn in his flesh. And we're not going to debate what that thorn may have been. But it kept him from becoming conceited in his own strength, his own wisdom. Instead, Paul started boasting about his what? His weakness. He had asked God to take the thorn from him, but after asking multiple times and not being delivered from the thorn, God said something significant to Paul. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And on Paul went to boast about his weakness. So the question I'm left with this morning is, what is God's grace sufficient for? Is grace sufficient for what? And the answer to that in relation to Paul's experience at that moment is one of the many, many answers to that question. For Paul, God's grace was sufficient for exactly what Paul was going through in the moment that he wrote that. Paul knew he was sent to the city of Corinth. Paul knew that God had brought him there for a purpose. And with a thorn of some kind taking away from Paul's effectiveness in Paul's mind, Paul was being reminded that God's strength, God's power was all that he needed. He didn't need his own power 
to make things work. Paul's weakness and God's power would accomplish the planting of the church and the spreading of the gospel in Corinth and well beyond. But that is one specific example of how God's grace is sufficient. This morning, I'd like to take a step back and see the larger picture of God's grace so that we can be convinced that God's grace is indeed sufficient for all of us. My desire for my own life is to live in the light of God's grace being sufficient for absolutely anything that I face. I want my life to be a book full of stories of the sufficiency of God's grace. I happen to believe that no one communicated about God's grace as well as Paul, except, of course, Jesus, who came to us full of grace and truth. Obviously, he understood grace and he taught it perfectly. But Paul is going to be our guide for this morning. We're going to go to a different letter of Paul's, this time his letter to the church in Ephesus. So you can turn in your Bibles now to Ephesians 2. Well, we work through a little bit of background material to set this up. Before we get into Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we need to get on the same page in our understanding of grace, by definition and otherwise. What is grace? In the New Testament of the Bible, which is where we see the word grace being used a lot, how is it being used? Well, the word grace is the English translation of the Greek word charis, and here's what that word means. Grace is kindness bestowed on someone who doesn't deserve it. In the context of what Jesus brought with him into this earthly experience, grace is the favor of Jesus assisting and strengthening his followers to bear their troubles through life. But at this point, I do want to emphasize that as we look at the grace of God, we mentally include ourselves in this picture. This is not just about someone else. This is not just about the people in the church at Ephesus. This is about us. Now, with a common understanding of what grace is, let's read through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And just before that, in Ephesians 1, Paul praises God for all that he's done for his sons and daughters. He says a lot of great things, talks about the riches of God that he's bestowed on his family. He then gives thanks for the church. Paul sees the grace of God being generously extended to the church. And then he starts chapter two with this lesson on grace. Paul writes this, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is an awful lot of insight in this passage. And all of what Paul wrote has the ability to move us closer to God. This short passage is like an open door into the presence and the glory of God. It's an invitation. It addresses our past, our present, and our future. And it begins by giving us a critical bit of perspective that I truly believe will move us into a deeper relationship with God. Let's begin with an honest look at who we were. Paul spends the first three verses in Ephesians 2 being really mean. He points out who the members of the church in Ephesus used to be, and he doesn't do it in a Minnesotan way. Paul's not gentle at all. He says to the church, you were dead. But here's something that we need to start with. Paul always included himself in what he taught concerning God's grace. Always. Paul, in another one of his letters, stated that he had only become who he now was by the grace of God. So what Paul wrote here applied to him as well. And forgive me for saying this, but what he wrote applies to us as well. Every single one of us. One of the things that can block us from truly knowing God is allowing ourselves to think that these words do not apply to us. If we believe that Paul's words only apply to the people of Ephesus who had previously been guilty of living godless lives, following other gods, serving themselves only, we're going to miss this open door that God put in front of us. As I look at my own history... I don't have a story that aligns perfectly with what Paul writes. I have, at times, convinced myself that I never did follow the course of this world. I certainly didn't follow the prince of the power of the air, Satan. I was a good boy, raised in a Christian home, doing my best, sometimes, to follow God's ways from the very start. I should be able to just skip this passage and go back to Ephesians 1 where Paul writes about all of the riches of God that I have been privileged to receive. But then in verse 3, Paul makes it crystal clear that my name is also on the list of those who were dead. He writes of our nature the command center of my life, my soul, and all of humankind's was corrupted by sin. Because of that corruption, we, by nature, were headed down the wide path that leads to death without God. And that's the key to understanding how desperate our situation was. We were born with a nature that leaves God out Paul talks about us walking down that course, that road that we are on by nature, and he never omits the fact that the wide road that leads to death is still a temptation for us. 
However, even while we were on that road, and even when we still sometimes choose to leave the narrow path and walk the wide road for a while, something incredible happened. God happened. Verse 4 happens. Grace happens. God's loving kindness shows up in a big way again. Even when we walked that road by nature and by choice, in his great compassion, God extends his loving kindness to us. He favors us out of his love for us. And so on the heels of that compassion that we talked about last week, God acts. His action is a loving generous gift towards people like me who don't deserve what he offers. God is kind, loving, merciful, active, generous. Our God, our Father, is gracious. I saw this definition of grace in my research as well. It said, grace is the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Now let me go back to the unpleasant statement in all this. This is a key, I believe, to knowing God. This key is the recognition and acceptance of the fact that you and I don't deserve this. I'm a pretty decent person in general. I've done some good things. I've been pretty faithful to God. I've put others before myself sometimes. I'm quite certain that compared to the Ephesians and compared to Paul even, I could boast that my time on the wide road that leads to death was probably not nearly as dramatic as theirs was. However, none of that None of it puts me in a place where I am more deserving of God's grace than anyone else. I deserve death, and I know that. Period. And that's where I was headed on my own. That's where I'm tempted to go on a daily basis, off on my own, confident that I deserve God's blessings when in fact I deserve death just like the rest of the human race. If I allow myself to stand in that place and acknowledge what I really deserve, I can finally see God for who he is. And I can finally enter into a depth of relationship with him that is exactly what he intends for me to experience. And no, this is not me asking for us to have a low self-esteem. We can't fake humility here. What it truly takes to reach this place where we can know God and his grace is confession. We have sinned. We were sinful by nature and we do not deserve what the perfect holy king of kings is extending to us. In that place, we can truly know God for who he is, and we should be blown away by his loving kindness. Why on earth would he move towards us in this act of grace? 
because he is love. And as hard as it is for me to believe, he actually loves me. And he wants to know me and to be known by me. Listen, the salvation doesn't happen without God's grace. By his grace, God rescued us. And he didn't stop there. He then raises us up from that grave that we were destined for, and he sits us next to Jesus at his right hand. That means that what's true of Jesus is true of us. For all of eternity, God will pour out on us what he intends to pour out on his son, Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this picture of grace getting bigger and bigger? Paul writes that it is by grace we are saved through faith. I don't want to get into a lengthy lesson on faith here. Just take this bit of perspective to go along with what we're seeing about God's grace. Faith means that we rely on someone we believe to be reliable. Not just believe in him. We rely on him. And in that relational context of us relying on a reliable God, grace continues to be given to us. Paul reminds us that grace takes, place, takes the place of something that, that can't earn us God's favor. We don't earn grace by what we do. And then Paul closes this passage with the future perspective on grace. In his loving kindness... God goes far beyond rescuing us. He carries on the work of transformation in us, and he leads us into the mission that he has created us for. The new path that God saved us to goes somewhere. It is not a destination. It's a journey. And in the coming months, we're going to look closely at what that all means. And it is very exciting and very humbling because of his love for us. In an amazing act of grace, God invites us to know him. He calls us into an eternal life of knowing him. It's a new life, a new path, a life that we don't deserve, but one that is filled with God's grace. He loves us, and he lovingly extends his favor to us, and he guides us in into this place of being bright reflections of his grace to the world around us. So let's start here this morning in our quest to know God more. Let's start with awe. Why would God do this for us? How loving and gracious does he have to be to choose this for us rather than choosing what we deserve? Let the reality of God's love for you sink in this morning. Actually, give it time to sink in. Don't just walk out these doors knowing that this thought is just going to fly away from you. And then I would encourage us to set some time aside to do what does not come easy for us. Let's take time to confess. We don't deserve God's grace. 
come to know God through confession as the one who loves us and extends grace to us and invite him to lead you into the plan that he's created for you. Be humble and surrender yourselves. I will do the same to our gracious God. Um, Let's pray together now and then we're gonna close our service with a song. And as we come before God in the quietness of our hearts and minds, if you know that you need to confess and you're feeling that pressure, that weight on you right now, just take a moment in silence to confess to God. Because we don't deserve his grace. And until we get that, I think we're going to miss his grace. And Father, we do confess together this morning that we don't deserve your grace. We are all born with a corrupted nature. But even in that state, that condition, your love for us is so vast that you reached into our condition and you extended us grace. inviting us to receive something that we don't deserve instead of something that we do deserve. You invited us to receive your grace. You pour out your riches on us. And we're humbled by that this morning. We thank you for that this morning. We once again put ourselves in the position of receivers receiving what you have to offer us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because this is who you are. Out of your perfect love for us, you generously give, and we are blessed to receive. So God, help us to find that place where we recognize that This isn't something we deserve. This is who you are. And help us to sit in that place and admit that we don't deserve this. Confess where we've gone wrong and then open ourselves up to receiving what we don't deserve. And then go on living in light of that grace you call us into your mission to do the works you've created for us to do where we declare that we are your workmanship we follow you into what you have for us Lord thank you for your grace thank you for your forgiveness thank you for cleansing us the only way that it could be done through Jesus Christ It's in his name that we pray.